Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski Podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my passion to teach you how to become more productive in our distracted world. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to sign up for the seven-day productivity challenge. Just give me two minutes a day for a week, and I will teach you strategies on how you can become more productive. Get on the challenge today by going to my website, mrproductivity.com. Remember, Mr. is all spelled out, mrproductivity.com. Today on the show, Laura Briggs. She is a former teacher turned freelancer, entrepreneur, and is the author of How to Start Your Own Freelance Writing Business. Lots of information here about VAs, when you shouldn't hire them, the mistakes people make hiring VAs, and we're going to talk about freelancing. So much good stuff. Let's get to it. Laura, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Now, we have to share a little inside podcasting because I asked you where you were calling from when we started, before we started recording. And I'm in Houston, Texas, where it's a chilly 59 degrees, but you told me you are where and what's the temperature? I am currently in St. Paul, Minnesota, and right now it is eight degrees, but when I woke up this morning, it was negative seven, so oh, it, it's it's actually gotten nicer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are recording this on December 11th. It is, of course, listener, you're listening to this on December 12th because I literally roll these out the next day, and I wanted to have Laura on the show because she is uh, got a book called How to Start Your Own Freelance Writing Business. Now, we're not going to talk to you about how you can start your freelance writing business. We're going to talk about freelancing. And one of the things, Laura, that I see people do a lot of mistakes I see on new entrepreneurs do all the time, they start their business. And the first thing they do is they go out and they go get a VA or they mm-hmm. go get help. And I'm like, uh, you don't have any money. You have any clients. Mm-hmm. You And I really believe that when you start, you should know how to do everything yourself, the social media, the website, the e-commerce site, everything, and then you start outsourcing. Do you agree with that? Yes, absolutely, because what's going to end up happening is you're not going to see the value in that investment that you've made. It does not make any sense to hire a virtual assistant or any type of outsourced professional on your team until you have regular revenue coming in. So a lot of people make that mistake. They either hire too soon or they hire too late. But yeah, you shouldn't be worrying about what you can pass off to someone else until you've got you know a good grounding for your own business and how you're going to work within it. Now, when you said that, I thought about the three little bears. You don't want it not too cold, not too hot. You want it just right. And that's basically what you're saying. Yes. And it's hard because a lot of people don't know exactly when that point is. And so they hesitate. And by the time they're ready to hire a VA, it's probably three to six months after they really needed a VA. And so they kind of hire frantically. But it's true. Once you have regular revenue coming in and you find yourself spending more hours than you want your business and you're kind of doing all of the tasks still, that's the time when you need to say, hey, all right, I need to get some of these things off my plate and outsource. Now, we live in a world where you can find virtual assistants anywhere and they're not obviously all created equal. So what are some things that we need to look at when we're looking for possibly bringing on a virtual assistant? What are some things or maybe some mistakes people make other than like wait until too long and just grabbing the first person that can, you know, breathe. What are some things that we should be aware of? 
the biggest mistake that most people make after they've made the decision to get a virtual assistant is putting together, you know, a list of 25 different tasks that they think one person is going to be able to handle. There are VAs out there who call themselves sort of general virtual assistants, which means they'll do a number of different tasks working for you. Then there's a lot of specialized VAs who might say, I only do Pinterest or I only post your blog for you. I only manage your email newsletter, but you are not going to find the person who does every single thing on your list well. And so you have to kind of group things together. So even on my team, I have a graphic designer VA and like everything she does related to graphic design. And then I have another virtual assistant who works specifically on my podcast. And so it depends on what you need done in your business, but I try to break mine out into similar tasks. So that way it's clear when the person comes on, you know, Hey, I'm looking for someone who's familiar with podcasting, knows how to use Libsyn, knows how to write show notes, knows how to create graphics for social media. That way only the person who's really great at those specific things is going to apply for the job. And if there's other stuff that it would be great if they did for me, but it's not really urgent, that's fine. I can discuss that with the person, but I don't want to hire someone who's, you know, an excellent blog poster if that's not what I need for that particular task. Mm, that's a good point. Now, w- every entrepreneur, I think, has read uh, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't know that that book was rejected 37 times. How would you like to be one of those 37 people that passed on it and go, holy crap, how do we miss that book? So, But that that's just a little nugget there for you, listener. Um, he talks a lot about virtual assistants. And one of the things he talks about in his book, and I'd like to know your thoughts on, is that when you hire somebody, you give them a real simple task, a very specific, simple task, and see if they can do that before you just give them like multiple things or you know a bigger projects. Do you agree with that? Yes. If you're stressed out, your tendency is going to be to want to dump as much as you can on this other person. That's the wrong way to go. You also don't want to lead this person to believe that there won't be a trial period or there won't be a test job because this is sort of the final thing hurdle for them to come through to be successful. And so you don't want to start the relationship saying, oh yeah, I'm going to pay you 10 hours a week for the next three months. That's on the table if and when they complete the test job successfully and you're pleased with the experience. The test job can even be something that's a scaled down version of what you want them to do ultimately. So maybe you need to collect you know, 5,000 pieces of information in an Excel spreadsheet. Hire them to do the first 50 and see how the experience is, not just the quality of the work, but did they ask questions at the outset of the project? Did they deliver on time? Were there a bunch of excuses or mistakes that you had to deal with. That's really what you're looking for there, the overall experience of working with them. The right person will rise to the occasion and you'll be surprised. Sometimes even a person who was great in an interview, had a great application, can fall short on actual delivery because they oversold themselves. So that test project is very important for the final level of screening. What about access to like your social media? I know a lot of people, as they grow their business, they can't always be on social media, but that's kind of a delicate thing in my mind, because what if they post something that you don't want them to post? So, I mean, that's obviously you, that's not someone you hire off the, right off the bat. You have to like build a trust in it, right? Yes, I would start small. And even if you hire someone to do your social media, you might say, I'm not going to have you post on my behalf yet. Let's create a content calendar 
for the month that is now six weeks away, for example, and let's see what it looks like. Or even for the next month, you know, put together a calendar of what you would post, what you recommend we do, maybe make some of the initial images. That way, there's also a chance for you to provide plenty of feedback and fix things before you actually need the material. So I wouldn't recommend just hiring someone and saying, you know, uh, I've shared my Facebook information with you and my Twitter with you, like, go ahead and just post freely. You want to have a little bit of an experience to get to know what it is that they're going to do. I am a big fan of Brendan Burchard, and he shares that up until like three years ago, the first like 10, 15 years, he did everything, all the social medias, all the emails, all the websites. Mm -hmm. And he's a big believer in that because a lot of people want to get into this and they go, well, I'll be really cool. I'll be an entrepreneur, have the staff. And basically, I don't have to do anything because my staff's going to do it. And I think that's the wrong attitude. That's not what virtual assistants are there for. They're there mm-hmm. to you know, help you continue to grow and promote your brand and your business. But they're not there to do all the work while you go sip martinis on, well, not martinis, margaritas on the beach. Absolutely. And, you know, you have to do the work to screen the right person and to provide them with that test job and to give them feedback. But if you haven't done the task yourself, how are you going to be able to provide them with feedback? For a Mm. long time, I was like that about my email newsletter. I'm like, I'll just write it and they can send it. What I found was the VAs that were working inside my email service provider left it a complete mess. Things weren't set up the right way. People weren't going through the right funnel. They were clicking on dead links. And so it was only when I said, all right, I'm spending this entire weekend to figure out how to use this. I'm going to fix everything. And now going forward, I'll be able to flag these mistakes before they happen. And I'll be able to provide training to the right person on it. So there's a lot of value in knowing what to do, because then you can kind of tell the people who've applied to your VA position, whether or not they're the right fit and they really know what they're doing. Now, a lot of people who are VAs don't live in America. So talk to us a little bit about the language barrier, because I know if you hire someone, well, I don't know, I assume, I guess I should say, that if you hire an American who speaks fluent English, you're probably going to pay more than if you get someone over in the Philippines or another part of the world. Is that correct? That is true. So you will definitely pay more to hire anyone who's you know, Canadian, Australian, United Kingdom, United States, even New Zealand, they're probably going to be very comparable prices among those different countries and areas. Um, If you go overseas to say India, if you hire somebody in Pakistan, um, if you hire somebody in uh, Central or South America, uh, or Philippines, you're going to get um, cheaper prices. The danger in that is that you need to be very careful about what you're hiring that person to do and that person's skills to do it. So if I'm hiring someone to send email on my behalf or interface with my clients, I want to make sure that we have a similar feeling about clients, that we gel on that idea of this is how we interact with people, mistakes. You know, I'm a, I'm a writer, so we can't have slip-ups in emails. We can't have grammar mistakes and spelling mistakes. And so it depends on the different types of tasks that you want done. And sometimes even the time zone can make a difference too, if it's harder for you to meet with the person or provide feedback in a timely manner. Yeah, people look at it and like, okay, if I get someone on the other side of the world, then I can send them stuff before I go to bed. And when I wake up, magic, it's all there. But (laughs) you got to build the relationship. I think people, they just think VAs are a a genie in a bottle. And you just like send the project to them and magically it shows up in your inbox eight hours later. But you have to vet the people. There are good VAs, bad VAs, meh VAs, and you got to find out which one are going to serve you. Like you said, uh, you have multiple team members. So walk us through how many VAs do you have and what are their distinctive roles? 
Sure. And and to that point that you just mentioned as well, you might feel in the beginning when you're onboarding this person that you're doing more work than you expected. So it's not as simple as say hiring a VA and then automatically you get five or 10 hours back a week. There's an onboarding period there where you have to train them. There's more feedback and you're more involved. You're making that upfront investment with the hope that later on you won't have to spend as much time providing them with feedback or going back and forth. So the number of VAs on my team flexes around a little bit. Um, Right now, I would say I have three to four that I work with regularly. If I have a major project going on, so for example, when I launch my book, I almost always have at least one extra person on hand to help with all of those related tasks. Um, One of my VAs, as I mentioned, does a lot of things to do with the podcast. Another one creates all of my graphics. Um, And then my third VA that I work with regularly, he manages an entire one of my businesses for me, a passive income stream selling my old lesson plans from my teaching days. Um, He does some a little bit of social media work for me. He creates all of my PowerPoint presentations for when I do uh, speeches and keynotes as well. And so it changes a little bit. I also have a podcast producer who's not really a VA per se, but um, is posting the podcast on my behalf. So it really depends on what my business looks like at that particular point in time and what's important. And sometimes I'll bring people on and then realize it's not that important. I had a Pinterest virtual assistant for a while. That wasn't really translating to traffic or conversions for me. So I felt like that was an investment that no longer made sense. And so she was great at what she did, but it just wasn't something I no longer needed. So I always keep my eye open to Um, And I don't know if you've read this book either, but Profit First is an excellent book that can help give you guidance on how much you should be spending on expenses and VAs factor into those expenses. For a long time, I was heavily overexpensed. I had way too many things that were coming out of my revenue. And so I keep that in mind as well. You know, where's my business at? And then am I paying, you know, 25 to 30% of revenue going out in my expenses? Does that make sense with what I'm making right now? You know, you made a good point, and I don't want the listener to miss this. You are going to reach a point where, you know, I really don't need this person anymore. And you got to be really careful not to build up the loyalty because it's nothing personal. But like you said about the Pinterest person, it was nothing personal. You just decided, I don't need this anymore. And so I think if we become too attached to these people, like their family, it'll be harder mm-hmm. to say, look, I don't need you anymore. And so that's the reality. That's what people who are virtual assistants realize that you're, you, you're a virtual assistant. You may work for someone for a week or a month or six months. But I, I think for me, if I was going in this, I would like feel like I was being bad to like let someone go. But I, I think that's something you probably overcome in time, right? Yeah, that's part of it too. And then I also think there's an element where you know, you tell the person, Hey, you know, my intention is maybe that this will go on longer than three months and we'll be working together for a long period of time, but don't make any promises. Don't sign a contract that six months or a year long, if that's not really what you intend to do with the person, I think you can easily get into that situation where people just assume it's ongoing forever. You know, as a freelancer, I've lost clients and it didn't have anything to do with me, but it was just time for the relationship to end or they no longer needed my services. And I understand that. So when you have that conversation, Just give the person plenty of notice. I like to tell people, you know, a couple of weeks before our contract is up or until a couple of weeks before the next payment is set to come out. Say, you know, this is just, um, you know, like I told the Pinterest person, I said, it's not really um, something that I need right now. So I'm going to be taking a break from this. I may come back to you in the future, but right now I just don't really see a purpose um, for this particular expense in my business. And she was totally professional about it. So if you've had that ongoing relationship where they think they're working with you forever, it's going to be a little bit harder, but always treat it like a business too. Now, what if you have a VA that, 
is, you know, they did a horrible job for you and they have to be fired. Do you actually go to the VA or do you go to her company or his or her company? Well, that depends. A lot of virtual assistants don't work for a company, so they work independently. And in that case, you just need to contact them directly. Um, if they work for a company, I would recommend try to work things out with the virtual assistant first. I always like to give people a chance in case I have miscommunicated something, in case I haven't done a good job of giving directions or I've misunderstood something. Um, so usually I'll address it with the person first. And then if they do work for a company, I'll go to the company and kind of say, hey, this has been happening. This is a real problem. But um, if they work for themselves, which a lot of virtual assistants do, it's best to just be upfront and not get into too many details. You know, you might feel as though you've been burned and you want a line item. You know, these are the six ways in which you disappointed me. Just keep it short, simple, professional and close out the relationship. Hey, our contract is set to expire in a couple of weeks. I just want to let you know I, I won't be renewing or um, our contract is ending effective today, you know, um, whatever, you know, the terms of your agreement say, and let them know that it's just not working out. It's not a good fit. If they push for more feedback, you know, try to still be positive in the constructive feedback you provide so that maybe they'll do a better job for their next client. Sometimes it really does boil down to personality though, and different people mm. just won't be the right fit for you. Makes sense. Well, let's switch gears. Let's talk about freelancing because you are the host of the Advanced Freelancing Podcast. So tell us why your love of freelance uh, freelancing came about and why you started the podcast. I mean, I know it's about pod, about freelancing, but give us a little backstory on it. Yeah, well, you know, I kind of accidentally became a freelancer and it grew from my side hustle to my full-time career. So I've been doing it for almost eight years now. And I never intended for it to be a business or for it to be a full-time income. I didn't know that was possible. You know, I was following a very traditional path of graduate from college and get a normal job and you pay off your student loans. And maybe if you're lucky, you retire at 65 or 70. And so I didn't know that this whole entrepreneurship thing was, was really like a viable option, but thanks to technology and the surge in freelancing, it really was. And so one of the reasons I started the podcast is because I'm an avid podcast listener myself. I'm almost always listening to podcasts. If I'm exercising, if I'm commuting somewhere, if I'm doing a long drive, I'm probably binging multiple episodes of different shows. And so I always liked the medium. A lot of my audience is also still in their nine to five job. So they're still commuting and they have 20 or 30 minutes a day to listen, whereas they might not be able to read something. I also found that I connected a lot with my audience over audio or video. So I started the podcast as an additional free resource. There are, you know, I do one on one coaching. I sell courses. There's a lot of people who are just starting out where that isn't a fit for them yet. So I wanted to have things in my world where they would be able to get help and support and learn about different things without really having to pay for it. You know, like you, I love podcasting. Obviously, I have this podcast, but. What listener may not know, because if you just listen to podcasts, you don't know the inside podcast story. There's over like, I think, 100, 802,000 podcasts in the world wow. today, but only about 20% of them are updated within the next last 90 days. And so people wow. start podcasts, but they don't stick around. So when people go, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, you are, you have close to 500 episodes, Mark. I'm like, oh, I just started, you know, creating <laughs> podcasts. I'm like, well, how did you get so many episodes out? I'm like, you started one then two, then three. It's amazing mm -hmm. how you just keep doing episodes. They keep accumulating. And, you know, I love the podcasting 
world because it's back in the old days. I'm 54. Back in the old days, I was a radio DJ. This is like having my own personal radio station. Okay. I can have whatever guests I want on. I can go as long or as short as I want to go. And it's like, I'm the boss. I'm the DJ. I'm the station manager. And it's really cool. But there's so many podcasts out there that I'm like you. I'm very picky who I listen to. So if, if I listen to a podcast and if they go on and on and on and they're not making a point, I, I go on. There's so many choices out there. And that's why when you find a good podcast, you subscribe to it and you stick to it because they give you value. And so I love talking. Talking to other podcasters because you get it. We speak the same same lingo. Yeah, and it's interesting too because there's so many different things in the back of our head that we are or not willing to to put up with in the podcasting world. We kind of tend to be snobs, right? Any podcast listener, like I will not listen to a show where the host's audio and the guest's audio are way off. And so it sounds like one person is screaming and the other is talking at a normal level. So you have to adjust the volume. So that alone could be something where I listen to something for 15 seconds and I go, yeah, this is just absolutely not going to work. And so all those little details really matter. And you have to think about how you present yourself in a different way and stay consistent with that because your listeners will really come to expect something out of you and um, expect the same, you know, quality level episodes around the same length time delivered at the same time. And, And that's important, really important in the podcasting world. What's funny is I have a tendency because I love productivity. I love podcasting I tend to talk fast tend to interrupt myself, tend to use the wrong words, tend to stumble over <laughs> my words. And and one day I made a, a solo podcast and listener, that means it's just me, no guest. And I said, well, I'm working on my, you know, correcting these, these things. And people wrote to me and said, don't you dare change. That's you. Don't change. Mm-hmm. We expect you to interrupt yourself. Oh, there he goes again. And so I realized that's my personality. So if I started making it no, never interrupting myself, always using the right word, never tripping over the words, people go, Where's Mark? And I think that's whether you're on a podcast or you're doing social media or in life, be you. Don't don't try to be a mini version of somebody else. This is a real life lesson. I think you need to be who you are. You need to be authentically you. And most podcasters are themselves, except for the people who, like you say, don't really do the little things like the audio. But I think you have to be yourself. Joe Rogan is Joe Rogan. Gary Vaynerchuk is Gary Vaynerchuk. They don't try to be somebody else. And I think that applies to every area of our lives. It really does. And you you want to ask your audience if you have access to them, you know, what it is that they like or honestly are willing to put up with about you. You know, I always try to get people who are interested in doing one-on-one coaching with me to listen to my podcast or to listen to my live videos first, or we talk together on the phone because I'm a super fast talker. And I get that not everybody likes that. That drives some people <laughs> crazy, but that, that I'm not going to be able to change that, right? So if you hate it, like go ahead and turn the podcast off. It's not the right show for you, but you have to know what those things are because just like you said, people come to expect that out of you. They really feel like they know you through your podcast. And so being consistent with that and staying true to who you are is much more likely to build an authentic following. So tell us what is the advanced freelancing podcast all about? I really talk about topics and issues that are relevant for those freelancers who've been working at this anywhere from six months to a couple of years. So they've got traction, they've got a proven you know, product already in their service, and they're just dealing with some of the issues around scaling. How do I make more money 
in less time? How do I outsource to the right people? What do I need to know about changing my rates now that I'm an experienced freelancer and not just a beginner? So I really focus on the different types of challenges that I faced when I was scaling and then things that I see coming up with my private coaching clients too. Interesting. Well, you have a book coming. Uh, I guess you have a book out that's called How to Start Your Own Freelance Writing Business. And I think it's funny because one of the um, the modules I went through in Brendan Burchard's course, he talks about writing. He says, here's when he started becoming a writer, he, he was going to go to all these conferences and these webinars. And, and he goes, let me, let me reach out to best-selling authors and let me ask them what they recommend. You know what they all said? Right. <laughs> That's yeah. it, right. Hey, don't go. They, they, the best-selling authors don't go to conferences. They sit there and write every day. So, listener, if you want to be a writer, you need to write. If you want to be a podcaster, you need to podcast. You, you need to get some training, but you need to do the thing. And I just thought yeah. that was so funny. Just write. So I'm sure that's a piece of advice you would tell people. If you want to write, you got to write. You got to write something. Even if you're not writing a book, maybe you're just writing a journal, but you got to write everything, right? Yes. And the the practice of it makes you better. I look back at some of my writing samples and things I produced from seven years ago, and they were fine for when I started, but they're terrible in hindsight. And so that practice makes you be really critical of yourself. I got that same advice from one of my favorite authors when I met her in person several years ago. And I said, what would your advice be to an aspiring author? And she's like, right, right every day. You know, <laughs> Stephen King, Daniel Steele, Nora Roberts, they all wake up and they write all day, every day. And that's what they do. And they, you know, not all of it is good and not all of it ends up going somewhere, but it becomes a practice that they've trained their mind to do almost like exercise. And so you have to think of writing as flexing your muscles. And so when you start, you might only be able to get out 300 words on the page. And the whole time you're thinking, this is absolutely terrible. I'm going to throw this away or delete this whole thing. That's fine. But what you're building to is getting to the point where you're more comfortable and you really do feel more confident in your work. Now, we know these authors that you and I know and love that have all these best-selling books, but we don't realize is how many pages do they throw away? How many books did they write that never Mm -hmm. saw the light of day? We see the finished product, but Stephen King was not born knowing how to write. He just decided to become a writer, and he wrote. Same with uh, Brendan Burchard, although Tony Robbins writes books, but he says, I hate writing a book because it's a long process. And Mm -hmm. that's the thing. There's so many mediums in the world. You can be a writer. You can be a blogger. You can be a video uh, vlogger. You you know, There's so many things you can do. And so if you're not a writer, don't be a writer. But it's interesting that your book is called How to Start Your Own Freelance Writing Business. So I'm assuming that's where people who like to write, but they want to help other people write better? Like, are you talking about a copywriter or what are you talking about in terms of uh, freelance writing? So copywriting, in a sense, it's mostly geared towards people who are interested in starting a digital business as a writer. So creating website, copy, blogs, email newsletters. The book does not go into craft, um, how to write. That will be my third book, actually, that was just sold to the publisher. So it's more of a business book. How do you set yourself up? How do you find clients? Um, you know What you need to know when you start a business like this? What does a typical schedule look like? How much time do you have to spend marketing? You know, what, how do you deal with a client who's difficult? Uh, what platforms should you set yourself up on? So it's really that basic 101 level everything you need to know about running a freelance writing business, either to get started or to read the book and have a $15 investment where you go, you know what, this isn't going to work for me. I don't want to run this kind of business <laughs> and and not get into it any further. Right. So I wrote it in a very honest way with the pros and cons in mind. Excellent. Now you're a former teacher. So what subjects or subjects did you teach? 
Well, I, it's funny. I was a social studies teacher and I was hired to teach geography, but I taught in one of the most challenged school districts in all of the United States, Baltimore City Public Schools. And the principal came to me two weeks before school started and said, hey, you're teaching seventh grade. We can't afford a sixth grade or an eighth grade social studies teacher. So you teach these kids whatever you think they need to know between elementary school and high school. (laughs) So I ended up teaching. We were all over the place. World history, civics, U.S. history, geography. I kind of cherry picked what I thought was most important for them to, to know before they went into high school. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. You know, um, when I was in school, I hated social studies. Okay. I didn't like it. But when I, you know, graduated and then I got an opportunity to go to Gettysburg. When you are at Gettysburg or a couple of years ago, my wife and I went to the Normandy and walk on Omaha Beach and stuff like that. When you actually go where history is, it totally mm-hmm. changes how you look at history. And because the books are just like black and white with some pictures. Um, but when you go to Gettysburg, I was so moved. My, my younger daughters were like, who cares? You know, cause they haven't studied at that point. They had not studied Gettysburg. They were really young, but my wife and I were like, this is so stinking cool. Do you realize how many people died on this hollowed ground? And it was so different because I didn't have to write a paper on it. I didn't have to take the exam. It wasn't on the finals. I just, you know, I just like got absorbed into that. And I, I recommend anyone, if you really, I'm a, I'm a, I love history now. I love watching stuff on the history channel or Smithsonian channel. I love these because I love to know the background of stuff because again, I don't have to take a test or write a report on it. So there's that, there's that, but uh, do you feel the same way? Do you love history and that kind of stuff? I do. I, I really love history. Um, you know, my, my mom was deeply concerned when I was a child. I really loved World War II. And so when I was nine years old, I begged my parents to take me to the Holocaust Museum in DC. And they were really like, you're way too young for this. And I, I really had to like campaign for this for months. I read Anne Frank. I taught Anne Frank in my classroom. And so I've always been very interested in that era specifically. So they ultimately did end up allowing me to go. And I love history too. And I love being in the actual, Uh, places. You know, I took my mom on a trip to Berlin. I lived in England for a year. So I got to do a lot of traveling around Europe. And my mom came over and we went to Berlin and we saw, you know, the division between where the Berlin wall was and, you know, both sides. And and you could pick out these little things like even the, the, you know, stoplights and streetlights that tell you it's safe to cross the street. They look different in old East versus old West Germany. And so that kind of stuff, like, you can really feel it when you're there. So I, I totally agree with you. It's almost like history comes alive when you get to go visit those kinds of places. Wow. Well, this has been a most delightful conversation with you, Laura. Where can we find you online and find out more about you? Check out my website, which is betterbizacademy.com, and you'll find my podcast there and all kinds of other free resources. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much for your time to being on the show. If anyone has any questions about VAs or freelancing, just reach out to Laura. I mean, she's going to be able to give you tons of information, way more than she gave you on the podcast. So thank you for being on the show, Laura. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com. Sign up for the free seven-day productivity challenge while you're there. You can also find out about my coaching and my course. And if we're not connected already on social media at the bottom of my page, 
All the links to where I am on social media are there for you. Reach out and say hello. I would love to hear from you. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast and do me a huge favor. If you found value in this episode or any episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast, would you tell somebody? or two or three or four people, the more people you tell, the more people find out about the show, the more people I can help. I love you so much. Thank you so much for your time and attention. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.